Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Boston Balling. I'm your host, Gabby Hurlbutt. Hope everyone's having a great start to the week, almost the holidays, which is really exciting. So it's a fun time of year. There's a lot going on um, in general, not a whole lot really going on in baseball, unfortunately, at this particular moment in time, but we're going to talk about all that today. Um, look forward to um, this episode. I have a really great guest with me today, does a lot of really good Red Sox content, um, Red Sox coverage, super knowledgeable about the team. Um, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Good. Yeah, I appreciate you joining me on the show. I, um, you know, I always enjoy your Red Sox content. So and just baseball content in general. So I'm excited to have you. Thanks. Yeah, at least someone does. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before we kind of get into it a little, can you just talk a little bit about how you really got involved in, um, you know, your current role that you're in now covering the team? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a unique story for me. You know, I always grew up loving baseball and um, grew up in Central Mass and was, you know, such a fan of the game and, and all sports, really. And while I was in high school, I, you know, kind of found baseball Twitter and uh, started an account and started uh, tweeting through that and uh, ended up working for SB Nation for a few years. And then once I graduated college, Mass Live had an opening for the Red Sox uh, beat job and I applied and was lucky enough to get it. So I'm entering. Um, I'm almost at four years on the job and, you know, basically just covering the ins and outs of the team, everything they do, all the drama, all the trades, uh, I've seen pretty much everything in, in the last four years from a world series title to the Mookie trade, to a pandemic, to Cora <laughs> leaving coming back, all that type of stuff. So it's, uh, there's never a dull day except now when, when they're locked out, there's a lot of dull days. Yeah. It's been quite the, uh, roller coaster. I'd say, I feel like you probably, and you entered this job at such a fun time for Red Sox baseball. I feel like. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, it, was, it was right in the middle of the 2018 season when I started. So uh, I think they won like, you know, 28 of the first 30 games I covered. And I thought, oh, this is easy. You just write about a win every day. But it uh, <laughs> it's it's changed over the last few years a little bit. It has. Yeah, that was such a fun season to watch. Every game was just so fun that year. Yeah, they were just incredibly dominant. And, uh, you know, the clubhouse was in a good mood, obviously, because they were just destroying teams left and right. And uh a year later when they had all those expectations and they were not as good, I uh, came to find out exactly what it's like when a clubhouse is disappointed and losing all the time. And uh, it's a different vibe. It's kind of interesting to see up close and personal though. I was going to say, yeah, cause you've seen it all. You've probably seen all the emotions that come with all that too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and uh, you get to pick your spots when to ask certain tough questions and, and you don't want to do it after a crushing loss, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of have to just read the room and know when to ask certain questions. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's been kind of the biggest learning curve, I think, for, you know, the last the first four years. Yeah, for sure. I, I can imagine. Definitely. But I feel like the more you you know, the more you interview these people, the better sense you get of like, you know, the types of questions that they enjoy answering and they probably all interview differently. So I feel like you kind of get a sense of all of that the, the longer you're in the job. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest thing is just, you know, getting to know the guys uh, on a personal level, you know, and obviously yeah. it's not, you know, drinking buddies or friends or, you know, not going golfing with these guys, but just, you know, kind of, you know, learning who, you know, gets, who um, is going to be really introspective after they have a bad performance, who's going to be really down and really pissed off and doesn't want to talk, which happens. Um, and, and that was, you know, kind of what I was trying to learn over 2018, 2019, and then 2020 comes around and we had spring training, but then, you know, we haven't been in the clubhouse in the last two years. We've had very limited, you know, in-person interaction. So you don't really have a pulse on, you know, what 
it's going through everybody's mind and, and everything's kind of, uh, you know, provided through the PR staff and everything's on Zoom and it's so much more sterile and so different that, you know, I think uh, the coverage obviously suffers with that. You know, I like there, <laughs> I always say, you know, I covered Christian Arroyo for like a year before actually meeting him in person because we weren't allowed anywhere near them. So, um, you know, there was even uh, another good, you know, story and during the COVID year in 2020 when we had zero access at all. I was walking out of Fenway one day and Michael Chavis was like walking the other way. And he's, he, I said hi to him. He's like, wow, it's so weird. It's weird to see, you know, one of you media guys like in person. It's like, yeah, it's, it's weird to see you too. You know, it's like, um, it feels like we're breaking some sort of rule or something. So, uh, hopefully we'll get back to even more normalcy in, in 22 and obviously beyond. Yeah. The 2020 season. I mean, that was just so strange. First of all, just how little, how few games they played really compared to a regular length baseball season. It was, was just the biggest thing. And also with, you know, the, the crowds being like not actual people there and having, you know, like cardboard cutouts and all of that type of stuff, like in the crowd, it was so weird to see all of that. And I feel like that probably took away from, you know, the that energy that the players bring into the games because they feed off of the crowd. So I feel like that that whole season to me, I just kind of cross out as a, as a season because I'm like I just don't really count it as a baseball season. Yeah, it was. I mean, people are you know I it was you know one of the 50 people in the ballpark for those games, and so that's yeah. people always say, oh, you're so lucky. And it's like no, it was you didn't want to be there. It was like depressing. It was like a Morgan there. It was the fake crowd noise, the cardboard cutouts. It was like. Yeah some bizarre dream that a nightmare and you know we you know had to be you know super separated and you know the, the concession stands were all closed and the, the concourses were clubhouses everything was just super 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 weird so um yeah i don't i i don't look back at you know yeah i guess at the end of the day it was cool that i got to be at those games when no one else was there but i it's not like it was a fun experience to do it yeah it's much better when there's you know the crowd there and it's kind of just creates a better environment being at the game, I'm sure. And it's just so much different. Yeah. It, you know, I, I made sure to, you know, you take that for granted, obviously, you know, going to as many games as we do on, on the beat job, or even as fans who go to a lot of games, you know, like you, you're in there and, you know, just sometimes like, Oh, the crowd's super loud right now. It's annoying. I can't hear myself think as I'm trying to write, but like in October this year, you know, I don't root for the team care if they win or lose, just care for the good story as any reporter would say. But, um, just looking around, seeing the the stadium full, and and seeing, you know, fans and people going nuts in October. Like I made I made sure to take a few moments to soak it in and think, well, wow, you know, thank God we're back to this, and uh, it was really cool. Yeah, seriously, and the crowd was phenomenal during that their playoff run this year too. I feel like you know the first of all, um, the wild card game, I could just tell, just even not being there and just watching it. Just I could just sense what the environment would have been like there just from watching that game because I feel like the crowd was phenomenal. And then really every home game they had in the postseason. That's why I feel like Fenway is such a cool environment and it's so cool to go to games there because, you know, you feel so close to the action there and everybody's so passionate about the team. So yep. I feel like it's just a really cool atmosphere, especially during the postseason. Yeah, for sure. You know, even people that have been covering the team for a long time and were there in 04 and 07 and 13 and 18 and, and all those times said, you know, this is as crazy as it's ever been. Uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of pent up uh, passion that had, you know, people had to you know kind of put uh, put to the side during 2020 and, and root from home out. There was a lot to root for for the Red Sox that year. But, um, you know, for for it to all come out and, and this year was it was, uh, you know, felt. You know, like there were the Red Sox, you know, had obviously slipped. I think in the the 
uh, totem pole of Boston sports. And they were right back to kind of where, you know, they have been for my entire life and obviously uh, a long time. So uh, it was, yeah, the, the playoffs were, you know, it's a blur when you're covering it because there's so much, you know, early morning travel and, you know, you have to be at the game like seven hours before, but, you know, just to see the crowds and what they were was, was really cool. Yeah, I'm sure I can imagine. It seems like it's just such a fun job to be able to just be up close and personal like that all the time. And especially with being as passionate about baseball as you are, it's probably just a dream job, you know? It is. It is. I mean, I think there's a lot of times where, you know, I, I, you know, either on I, in tweets or you know, talking to friends or whatever that I come off as jaded and there's things that, you know, make you jaded as, you know, you go through time, you know, you have an interaction with a player you might once worshiped and he's, you know, rude and that changes things around. Or, um, you know, if you're a fan going to, you know, one game a month, you want to be at Fenway for as long as possible. And you want, you know, that extra inning, you know, crazy five hour game when you're there every night, those are not fun at all. You know, those are the, those are the, you know, we get another one of these tomorrow, another one of these the next day. And so, you know, I, I root for, uh, you know, my team is games under three hours. That's who I root for. So um, that's what I care about the most. <laughs> and fly people, by. Yeah, exactly. That's why pace of play initiatives are my favorite thing. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's yeah, as much as, you know, I'm jaded with that type of stuff, like, you know, getting the opportunity to, you know, have that front row seat uh, as much as I do and, and see kind of the inner workings of, you know, the Red Sox, such a historic organization. And then, you know, just calling Fenway, my workplace on a day-to-day basis, I think is the coolest part. You know, I, I just walking in every day, you're like, think about how much has gone on there. That's been special and how much, you know, there is a potential for history to really be made there every day. So I haven't lost the appreciation for that, even though I am uh, the world's uh, most crusty uh, jaded 26 year old ever. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm definitely jealous. It seems like an awesome job and, um, you know, just everything about it really. And just being able to be there every day and during the games and all of that, it must be so cool. When I go, I always hope for extra innings just so I can be yeah, there. Exactly. Longer, like you said, so you're, you're the problem. Is what you're saying. Do, it's probably like if they go extra innings and then maybe have a day game the next day, that's not fun. Yeah, no, it's that's, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, the worst, the worst on our end is when we're on the road and there's, you know, a getaway day. So it's an afternoon game. And it's an extra innings game because we all have, you know, the charter is not waiting for us. It's going to take the team. But we have, you know, Delta Airlines Flight 708 that's taking off at 730 no matter what's going on. And if if the game's still going on, then you you either miss that, stay the night in Cleveland or some other, you know, place. And um, so that that's when it really that's when the pressure really hits. That's when that's the stress of the job is like, all right, I don't care what happens here. Just end it now so I can get to the airport. Yeah, even if they lose, like at this point, I just want the game to be over. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But what what were your thoughts on the 2021 season in general? Because obviously, that was a season where they were not expected at all to do what they did do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of thought that they might surprise people in 2021 and be a little bit better than people thought they would be. But I did not expect them to make it all the way to the ALCS. You know, I think. They obviously, you know, used the the media and the public doubting them as such motivation, which, um, you know, I don't know how many times we could have possibly been told, oh, you guys doubted us and you never believed in us and all that, which, you know, like, that's awesome. Um, but they, I think, you know, they're just, for me, it was a team that, you know, if everybody hit uh, at, you know, they're kind of, everybody peaked and they would have a chance to get in and, you know, to me, it was it was kind of, you know, not everybody really did peak, yet they still found a way. I think they were just, you know, at the end of the day, you know, gritty, um, 
they were, you know, they, they were extremely healthy, which I think is one thing that people don't talk about enough. You know, Chris Sale, obviously, everybody knew heading into the season he was not going to be ready until probably mid-August. But if you look at up and down the lineup, the rotation, the bullpen, there were not many guys that missed a lot of time. You know, the COVID outbreak, it affected a lot of people on the team for a 10-day stretch. So during that 10 days, they were obviously very shorthanded. But the rest of the season, the rest of the six months, um, you know, you didn't have that big injury to somebody like Devers or Bogarts or, um, you know, one of your starters. I mean, they, they had so many guys that just went out and took the ball every five days. Obviously, some of them weren't as effective. But, you know, Erod didn't miss a start after his first one, even coming back from myocarditis. And Evaldi was out there every fifth day and was really, really good. And I think that was the huge key that, you know, they they did not have a ton of depth, and we saw that kind of tested during that COVID outbreak, but um, they stayed incredibly healthy, and I think, you know, they, they reached their ceiling based on that. Yeah, and Evaldi was huge this season because he really was that guy that stepped up because we – I mean – I mean, I personally didn't expect Chris Sale to come back and be that ace that he was. So I, I, you know, I was like, okay, we kind of need somebody else to step into that role because we don't know how Sale's going to pitch when he comes back. You know, coming back from Tommy John surgery, I didn't, I did not expect him to be that ace that we are used to seeing from him. So I said, I wonder who is going to take that role. And I feel like Evaldi was just huge this year because he stepped up in so many different aspects. And every time he pitched, you felt pretty confident that, you know, he was going to have a good start that day. And that's exactly kind of what they needed was that number one guy. And he really did a good job of being that guy in 2021. And for a guy that, you know, was, was so criticized two years ago for that contract he signed, you know, he signed a big yeah. four-year $68 million deal after his heroics in the 2018 postseason. People wrote that deal off just because he got hurt in April of 2019. And, um, yeah. You know, but you have a guy, you know, this year and, you know, 375 ERA doesn't really tell the whole story because he had, you know, bad start against the Yankees there at the end. And um, the advanced numbers are even better. This is a guy who finished fourth in the Cy Young voting, you know, and had a career year at, at 31, 32 years old. So um, he was as good as they possibly could have imagined. It really proved that, you know, Dave Dombrowski and, and the staff back then were, um, you know, really uh, right and making that commitment to him for, for 68 million, you know, he was able to stay healthy, you know, 182 innings, just kind of looking at the numbers now, obviously a career high and, and really put it all together the way the Red Sox thought he would. So that was a huge key. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez was, was obviously up and down, Pavetta was up and down, Richards and Perez were up and down. So um, he was the stabilizing force of that rotation. I know they're expecting big things out of him next year too. Yeah, don't even get me started on Richards and Perez. I mean, I had hope, especially for Garrett Richards going into the season. I had hope because I was like, you know, they must see something in him uh, that I just hoped he would kind of be more consistent in the back of the rotation. But obviously him and Perez were just, they just never really were able to put it together. Perez especially, because even out of the bullpen, he wasn't really super effective either. Um, And so, but I think, you know, I Pavetta, I think, had a pretty good season. Hauk, I do like. I just think it's there's still a little bit of kind of a longevity issue with him, and I think he still needs a solid third pitch to be able to really develop to be, um, you know, valuable in the starting lineup. But you have to wonder now if he gets moved to the bullpen now with, you know, some of these moves that they made, which I do kind of want to get into because what I like about Heim Bloom and the way he does things is he's not one to just go out and spend a bunch of money on, like, you know, the top free agent out there. Um, he's somebody who will find somebody that he thinks is best for the Red Sox system. And that's not always the, you know, that glamorous free agent that's out there. 
he'll find somebody that he feels really fits in with this team. And obviously that's worked so far based on the success that we saw in 2021. So he goes out there and he signs Rich Hill, which some people were predicting that he would do something like that, like Mm -hmm. bring him back to Boston. And the Michael Waka thing, I was like, why him? Um, But thinking about all of it now and kind of, you know, how the rotation looks now, you have to wonder if he's still going to go out and get another arm to go into that rotation. And then he it allows for flexibility to maybe move people like Tanner Houck to the bullpen who could be super lethal there. Yeah. I think it's you know shaping up to be almost like it was a year ago where they're going to, you know, go into the season with Evaldi, um, Pavetta, Sale, probably Waka and Hill and just see how long they can ride those guys. And then at some point, have the reinforcements come in last year. It was Tanner Houck and Chris sale replacing Richards and Perez this year. Could it be Whitlock Houck, James Paxton coming in at some point, whether it be July, August, September, and kind of, um, you know, rejuvenating the back end of that rotation or, you know, a trade deadline acquisition. So they have depth, uh, no doubt about that. You know, I don't think that they're a very top heavy rotation. You know, sale and Evaldi at the end of the day are a great one and two if they're at their best, but expecting Evaldi to repeat last year is, is probably a big ask. We're expecting yeah. sale to be the AC previously was, you know, that's a question mark too. Um, so, you know, they have seven now capable guys, eight. If you think about Paxton, Connor Siebold, Cutter Crawford, a couple of guys at AAA who I think are going to factor in down the stretch as well. So, um, you know, that seems to be Bloom's MO. We just add a bunch of arms and, and kind of stick it out, um, you know, and obviously he didn't want to, you know, go to the higher end of the market. You know, Kevin Gaussman, Robbie Ray, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Marcus Stroman, all these guys came off the board on, on big contracts. And it didn't seem like the Red Sox were super involved with any of them, which is a little bit of a surprise to me. But it seems like when he makes that big move, he really wants to be convicted in it. And uh, we'll see when that happens, if it ever does. Yeah, that was a surprise to me, too, because I was like, there's some solid names on the board here and the Red Sox do need pitching. So I thought that that was something he might be more aggressive with. I mean, I know he kind of looked into Marcus Stroman a little bit. I did see something on that. But overall, like I was kind of surprised that he didn't get one of those pitchers, one of those, you know, top notch free agents that was coming in. Um James Paxton, you know, people were complaining about that just because he won't be available until, you know, at least July, most likely. Um, And obviously health is a concern with him because he's been injured quite a bit in his career. But if, Mm -hmm. if, if he's healthy, he can be a really, really valuable piece in this rotation. And that's what is appealing to me about the James Paxton signing, because if we can get a healthy James Paxton when he comes back, that could be somebody that could be a serious asset to the rotation. And that's why I'm not, you know, I'm not writing that whole situation off altogether. I mean, yeah, it's frustrating that he won't be available until at least July, but if he does come back and he can stay healthy, he has, he can have really good stuff when he's healthy. And that's what I like about him. Yeah. He's proven in the past that he can be one of the best pitchers in the AL and health has always, obviously, you know, always been a big concern. I think, you know, the upside for the Red Sox in that deal is that you know, even if he doesn't pitch this year, only has a handful of outings, they have control over him for 23 and 24 on the, that double team option. And, and that's not really even a deal that's going to break the bank. You know, if you have James Paxton at his best, he's going to get a lot more than a three year, $35 million deal. That's all that they'd have to pay him um, if they exercise those options and he hit uh, even some bonuses too. So um, I think there's a lot of upside there. Um, and, you know, obviously some downside if he doesn't get healthy and, you know, he threw away 10 million for the year. Um, but it is what it is. That's it's kind of the price to, to you have to pay. I think, you know, we've seen 
for all the talk about, you know, Bloom being cheap, all that type of stuff, the two moves, the James Paxton move and the Jackie Bradley move, where he brought in a lot of salary and added $10 million in payroll because Bradley's do 10 more than Renfro. Those are a couple of big market moves, and then people don't really talk about that a lot because um, it kind of goes against the narrative that, you know, the Tampa Bay Red Sox and all that stuff. But um, those are a couple of big, big market moves, and, and it shows that they're not really going to be concerned about spending. They're, they're willing to pay up now. Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to bring up, too, because that, to me, came out of nowhere. Because I really like Renfro, and I thought he was a great asset to the team in 2021. And even Heim Bloom said that that wasn't a move that he had expected to make, mm -hmm. you know, a couple days before that deadline, before the lockout was starting. And so I was super surprised by that. Um, and I was like, what's what's the plan here? Um, and obviously for Milwaukee, that Jackie Bradley was a salary dump because, you know, that's that's to me kind of where that came from, from their perspective. But I think Heim was really interested in those prospects he got in the deal because I don't think that's being talked about enough. I think sometimes people are just seeing it as like, you know, Renfro for Jackie Bradley. Like that's not right. Worth it. Like Renfro is a better hitter. People but talk I think about Bradley more because everybody knows Bradley. everybody knows him around here, obviously. Exactly. That's the thing. He, everybody knows him around here. So I think he could just be a good kind of veteran presence to have here. And obviously his defense overall is better than Renfro's because Renfro, obviously we know Renfro had a great arm, mm -hmm. but he could not really field the ball as well. And that's something that Jackie can do also. But I don't see Jackie as kind of an everyday player. At least I don't think that he would be. But I think having just his presence here, somebody who's familiar with Boston, everybody knows, and Alex Cora has a good relationship with, I think could be good for kind of, you know, that camaraderie in the locker room aspect. I think, you know, Heimblum, talk about his MOs. I think the number one thing that he's always looking to do is to make moves that help both in the present and the future. And we saw that with the Adam Ottavino move that got, gave them a late inning reliever for one year. And they got a prospect in Frank German who um, was at double A this year. And, and basically by taking on a Ottavino salary, this is basically the same type of thing. The, the only you know, difference is that a, a guy that you know fans liked in Renfro and had a good year is going out the door. I think, you know, the Red Sox, as much as Renfro was good and had a you know great offensive year, he did lead all of baseball in errors um, for outfielders. He yeah. had three more than the next highest guy. I think it was 12, and Tyler O'Neill had nine for the Cardinals. There's a lot of times where he just did not make the routine plays. So, yeah, he was flashy with the arm. Um, but the Red Sox came into this offseason with an emphasis on team defense. They wanted to clean things up. Bradley's obviously an upgrade in that regard, and I don't think they're done. I think they're going to add an outfielder, whether it be Kyle Schwarber or um, Suzuki or, or somebody like that. There's a lot of names out there. The other thing is, as you mentioned, those prospects, you know, people see, oh, they were only ranked number 16 and number 17 in Milwaukee's system by MLB.com. Well, uh, a big reason for that is because neither of those guys have played much uh, before in uh, the pros. Uh, Benellis, who's really, I think, the better prospect there, was a third-round pick this year out of Louisville. Um, so you're basically, you know, getting another third-round pick in the 2021 draft, which... Um, you know, basically you just slot him into your draft class from that, from this year, along with, um, you know, the high octane guys they got there. So, um, you know, to me, it's a move that obviously when you look at it and you see, you know, for me, when the press release came out at 1130, half an hour before the deadline, I didn't, even, I thought they had sent some old, like, uh, some old thing by accident, you know, it was just, I was just Jackie Bradley, what's going on here. Um, <laughs> But when you really digest it and you can see kind of the rationale, I think working against them is the fact that it happens so close to that deadline and they're not able to make, you know, the next move. What's the next shoe to drop? People are going to be sitting on this for, 
you know, months and months and months and say, okay, well, Renfro to Bradley is a downgrade and Eduardo Rodriguez to Waka uh, Hill and Paxton is, you know, probably a downgrade too. So, okay, the Red Sox are worse, you know, with Schwarber not on the team, Ottavino not on the team, those types of guys. They're worse than they were, you know, when they lost to the Astros in game six, which is absolutely true. Um, you know, they're not allowed to make moves right now, so they can't, you know, make that roster better. So people are going to have to stew over this. I think that's kind of unfortunate, but the work's not done. You look at, you know, the, the, the free agents who are still left, a lot of really talented players in the trade market. You know, I know the, the Bradley move was a trade. And there was a couple other small ones around baseball, but the trade market um, basically was n- non-existent. So when the lockout does end, I think they're going to be busy. And I think there's a lot of moves still to be made. And um, Bloom likes doing that. He likes waiting out the market. He likes making late moves. He likes letting things come to him. And uh, he's going to have plenty of opportunities whenever this thing ends. Yeah, and I know, I mean, because I know he's is he's still looking at into like Trevor Story and Carlos Correa. So he obviously is he obviously still wants to get another infielder of some sort, it seems like. Um Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about those personally. You know, I think there's there's a lot of smoke there, but I, I don't think you know, I think if they're gonna overpay for a shortstop, it's gonna be the one they have personally. But um they could yeah. surprise me. Obviously, Cora has a good relationship with Correa, so so that could play a play a role, but um Either way, they can't talk to these guys until an agreement's reached between the owners and the players. So it's uh, there's uh, they'll have a lot of time to think about it. Yeah, I think there's there. I, I definitely don't think they're done. I think like you know he knows that there's still there's still moves that have to be made, and I do think he's planning on making more moves. I kept refreshing Twitter though after that press conference was announced, and I said, "What is going on right now? Like, what is he doing?" Yeah, and then um, all I saw originally was the Red Sox made a trade and I said, well, what kind of trade is it? And then I, I the first thing I saw was Hunter Renfro was traded mm-hmm. to the Brewers. And at first I was freaking out. Cause I was like, no, I love Hunter. Like, I, I hope we got some decent return on this. And then I see Jackie Bradley jr. And I'm like, I, I have lost all concept of um, what Bloom is doing right now. Cause that, that just was super unexpected to me. I don't think anybody at all saw that coming that Jackie Bradley jr. Was going to end up back in a Red Sox uniform. Yeah, well, I, you know, the way it happened for us is uh, obviously we knew about the Hill and the Paxton moves, but they weren't official, but we knew they had to be announced before midnight. And so we got the press release for those guys at like 11.15, 11.17. Then we got a note that Bloom was going to be talking at 11.35. And I thought, you know, obviously he's just talking about Paxton and Hill. Um, and then, you know, that I saw the, the rumors of the trade starting to happen on Twitter. And then we got the, the press release that it was Bradley for Renfro. And yeah, it all happened so quick. And, you know, Four minutes after that press release came out, uh, Bloom was on the Zoom call, so uh, there wasn't a lot of time to process before starting to ask questions, and and uh, that was a, that was a good four a.m. bedtime for me. Yeah, I'm sure that was probably a late one that night. Yeah, well, yeah, and the, I that's am the price you pay for like three months of doing nothing. So that's all I have now. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, it's probably gonna be so weird because it's gonna be so slow. But I just. I'm curious how long this lockout's really going to last because I, I I'm just worried about it going into the season. Yeah, that's that's the golden question. I have no idea. Um, you know, I, I think you know, we were just I just recorded um, my own podcast at, at Mass Live at, like right before this, and we, I was talking to my beat co beat reporter Chris Smith, and we were saying, in terms of you know the product for baseball fans, like there's a lot of people upset. Like this is so bad for the sport. Until games are lost, it really isn't. I mean, it, it was really cool to see the free agent frenzy be what it was um, early on uh, and see so many guys throughout the league signing in different places. And if the lockout, let's say, gets lifted in late January, early February, then it's going to be the same thing of there's going to be a free agent fr- frenzy there too. Um, you know, I think 
that's really good for the sport and this dead period is just kind of the price you have to pay for it. Um, but if they do, you know, delay spring training and guys are have to get ready quicker and they're risking injury and the season or the season gets delayed, any of that stuff, I think, you know, the game can't really afford that just because we just basically have this, you know, it was a 60 game season two years ago. Last year was, you know, somewhat weird. Revenue wasn't all the way back because, you know, the, the, there wasn't hundred percent capacity in 99% of places earlier in the year. Um, so this is, you know, the season where they really needed to be as normal as possible. And if the work stoppage keeps going, it's a massive mistake by the league and the players. Um, but there's still, you know, a far way to go. There's still a lot of issues to be ironed out between the sides. It doesn't seem like they're particularly close. Um, but, you know, I think obviously with the holidays coming up, they're going to have to, you know, not probably talk that much. But January is really where the pedal um the metal has to meet you at the road or the hell the saying is. And uh, they, they'll uh, have to figure it out then. Yeah, after we get through New Year's, that's when I'm hoping that they can really just um, kind of try to get to the bottom of this because it's just really kind of crazy to think about this, the fact that this is even happening in the first place and that just that nobody can agree on anything and that we're just here in this place of like, okay, so what happens now? We all just have to wait and then right. literally nothing's going to come out because nobody can talk to anybody. So what good is that doing for anybody? So that's why I'm hoping that they can get something figured out soon but I do think you know I do think at the end of the day the Red Sox have a plan I am curious how that's all going to play out with Suzuki I know they really are interested in him um and obviously trying to bring back Kyle Schwarber so it obviously would probably be one or the other but either one obviously would be good to have on this team um because you know Kyle Schwarber when he came was just so good for the Red Sox lineup and um just really really helped offensively so um, that's what I really like about him. But one other thing that I find interesting is them maybe possibly trying to trade um, Duran and maybe Dahlbeck for a starting pitcher if they do get some one of those players. Because mm-hmm. people are like, well, if they bring back Schwarber, then he could play first base and then they would get rid of Dahlbeck. But that's why I feel like there's so many things that they could still do and nobody really knows what that's going to be. It's just hard to say right now. You know? Yeah. And I, you know, I think, you know, trying to get in, inside time blooms mind is what keeps me up at night and consumes every day. But um, I think it's, it's always a fruitless task because I think fans and us reporters and all that type of stuff, we think, you know, if, uh, if A happens and B is going to happen or this, you know, need is going to fit in perfectly. You think about how many times already just under him that that hasn't been the case. Kyle Schwarber did not fit on this roster. He's basically a DH who you, know, you can occasionally stick out in the field. He did not fit the roster at the deadline. He was not a guy that you would have expected them to get. And they made it work. He was obviously really good. Um, you know, time and time again, he didn't think this Bradley trade was going to happen. Nobody did. Um, so, Trying to predict, you know, exactly what he's going to do. You know, I think obviously they do need outfield help. That's clear. They're going to have to add somebody just because they're light there and, and bullpen help. But um, I wouldn't put anything past them. I think they they value versatility, flexibility, and and the, the most amount of options they can have. You know, it's funny. I only covered Dave Dombrowski for you know half of eighteen and then all of nineteen. Um, but he's you know there's old school mentality. If a reporter asked him, "What do you need?" say well we need a right-handed starting pitcher we need a guy to pitch the eighth inning and we need a you know a left-handed hitting left fielder so like you knew exactly what he's going to do you ask Heim Bloom what he wants to do we're just looking at ways to make our roster better both in the present and the future and give ourselves the most flexibility possible it's like that company line of you know we want sustainable winning blah 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 and it's tough to really figure out exactly what's coming next so um 
you know, there's there's some obvious moves, there's some less than obvious moves. Um, and uh, but the good news for everybody is, like you said, we have a ton of time to possibly think about it. Yeah, which is not fun, but also I guess could kind of be a good thing because he can just kind of fall asleep at night thinking about, okay, so what do I want to do next? But yeah, exactly. I think I, I do like his mentality in terms of he doesn't want to just focus on now because he wants this team to be good for a long time. So he wants to be able to, you know, get some good prospects into that system that could really help him be part of the future. And I think that that's kind of some of the moves he's made are more for the future than the present more so in terms of like, yeah, like the JBJ trade. I mean, like obviously there are some good things about having JBJ here, um, Mm -hmm. but um, you know, I, I really think that at the end of the day, he wanted those prospects and he really is focusing on, okay, what can I do? Where's that happy medium between focusing on our future, but not focusing too much on the future where I'm giving up on the team now. Cause I think especially after what they did in 2021 and seeing the potential that that team had, you still want to be able to focus on now and the present and making moves that, you know, cause we obviously hope that they get back there next year and hopefully even further and go to the world series but it's you have to you can't just put all of your eggs in that basket and then have you know no farm system like they did after they won in 2018. Yeah, and that's the balance that you know they've always had. It seems like an overcompensation either way. You know, Ben Charrington comes in and he's focused on the farm, and then Dave Dombrowski comes in and he's focused on winning now, and the farm suffers. And I think they brought in Heim Bloom to try to you know balance that happy medium of okay. You know these move. We can make moves that that you know help you both now and in the future. And we, like I said, Ottavino, JBJ, a few of these other moves. Um, and you know I think even some of the smaller things that don't that kind of go unnoticed, issuing Eduardo Rodriguez a qualifying offer and then not really pushing to resign him, you get a draft pick out of that. You know, and so um, those things kind of go under the radar sometimes, but they're super important to building an organization that, as they always say, is is the goal is to be sustainable and to win as much as possible over time. Yeah, and he had a lot of work to do when he came into that role, too. And so I think he's really trying to just find that even balance of what can I do to help this team win now and what can I do for our future? And obviously, Alex Cora is a big part of this. I think, you know, their success in 2021, just having Alex Cora there, I just think he's really good for the Red Sox and just how much he can relate to his players and just the way he motivates his players. Um, I think there's just kind of something special about him and the players genuinely enjoy playing for him. I think that's another thing to, um, you know, credit uh, for 2021 on because I think he's just I think he's just the perfect fit in Boston um, in that role. And I think that, you know, the players really respect him and they enjoy playing for him. And you could see that they all had fun when they were out there playing and on the field every day, they just genuinely had fun. And I didn't see every team when I was watching Red Sox games, not every team looked like they did in terms of the fact that the Red Sox were just enjoying themselves. And I didn't really see that kind of energy with every team. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, Alex, obviously, he connects with certain guys. He gets the best out of certain guys. We've seen that time and time again. He's a huge asset recruiting-wise. You know, we talked about Correa earlier, but you know, if, if they sign him, he's going to have a huge, huge role in that. Um, and they have with you know other guys, Martin Perez. Even he had not ever uh, had any connection with Cora whatsoever. You know, they never were at the same organization, any of that. But he said just he had heard through the grapevine, you know, about how fun it was to play for him, and he had never played for a Latino manager before, and it's something that you know he really wanted to. Um, experience and you've heard that time and time again that he was a big he's a big um 
you know, player and, and the recruiting process. So, um, yeah, I, I, he can't be underrated in my mind. I think that, you know, managers nowadays, a lot of it's, you know, passed down from above analytics, all that type of stuff, but he really does make a tangible impact on the team. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that gets credited enough, like you said, but I do think he was such a big impact and things that he said to the team, you know, in the locker room that I think helped motivate them. And, and it just, it just showed all season and they just had that, that attitude of, you know, we want to, we want to prove people wrong. Like we're here and, and we're serious and we can compete and we can win games. And the fact that they were in, you know, such a tough division as well, and they were able to do what they did is also pretty remarkable because that's a tough division to be in and it's getting tougher. And, you know, I think I look at teams like Toronto, I mean, they're going to be scary once again. And like, you know, the Rays and Yankees are still going to probably be there. So it's just, it's just um, it's a tough division to be in. And the fact that the Red Sox were right there with that division in 2021 to me is impressive in itself, because, I mean, that arguably was the toughest division in baseball to play in last year. Yeah. And, and you know, as you said, Toronto has got a really young core, um, you know, Baltimore. It can't possibly be this bad forever after, you know, winning or losing 100 games every year for the last four years. Uh, <laughs> the Rays are a sustainable product that is always going to be you know, retool, recharging, they could, you know, trade their whole roster and they'll just get a bunch of uh, utility men clones and openers who can uh, minor league deals that will learn how to pitch down there for some reason. And the Yankees are, you know, they're the behemoth. They'll always be the Yankees. So it, it's not going to change anytime soon, but the Red Sox are, are posi- positioning themselves to be in it for a long time too. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like a lot of what they're doing. I like the direction that they're headed in. They'll be, they'll be like, this division is going to be a four team race again, probably I think in 2022, I think all four of those teams once again have the capability of winning the division. I think it's just a matter of, you know, like what teams are, what, what teams are going to come out and, and really be prepared. And I think Toronto is on a really good path. That's a team that even last year I said, if they're, if they can stay fully healthy, then they scare me because that lineup when fully healthy is one of the toughest in baseball, I feel like. And it's just so they, they scare me. And I, and I said, you know, they need um, a couple more pitchers, but um, now they're, they're just looking even better. So that's going to be interesting to see in 2022. And I think what you mentioned before about how Bloom can go into the season and kind of see what works and what doesn't work, you know, and then he can make more moves later on. Um, and be like, okay, like this, this isn't working. So why don't we just try to make a trade for somebody else that might be a better fit? So there's no, I mean, I still don't think the opening day roster is set yet. Cause I think after the lockout, he does want to make more moves, but even so, even after that, if he makes some more moves and people are still a little bit skeptical, right. it, that's not the end all be all there's, there's, uh, there's opportunity to change that as time goes on too. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that that's always the case. You know, I think it's, it's always, yeah. You know, with with him, with the Rays, when he was there, you know, obviously he wasn't running the show 100%, but they were always a team that made early trades during the season if they wanted to shake something up, April, May, June. And, you know, Haim hasn't necessarily done that. He only had really one season to do that where there was an April, May, and June last year. But um, that's always a possibility, I think. Um, and I don't think they're going to be, you know, uh, really concerned about the collective bargaining tax uh, like they were in last year and the year before. I think they're going to be, um, you know, really willing to spend yeah which i mean is which is a good thing i think yeah i mean i think just the moves he's already made is a sign that that he really just doesn't care about it and he'll go out and he'll spend money on players and that's why i am curious 
what else they're going to end up with. But yeah, definitely one more outfielder. And then they need to figure out something in terms of the infield, you know, who's going to play where and what's how that's going to be addressed. Cause the infield defense was a concern last year too. So I think he knows that that's something that needs to be, you know, fixed, obviously second base is still a question mark in general. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who exactly is here to start the season to even play that position in the first place. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one. Um, and, you know, there's talks that, you know, they, they sign one of those shortstops and they move Xander to second base, but I don't think he's going to overpay for anybody. Cause I think he knows better than that. So I don't think he'll bring in somebody unless he really feels like it makes sense for this team. Right. No, I, I think it's, you know, Christian Arroyo uh, at second is, is a guy that I think they like, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm not sure he's going to be, you know, given the starting nod. I'm not sure, you know, he's not the ver- most versatile or, you know, durable guy in the world. But um, there's going to be some guy that surprises you. There's always, you know, Bloom's always looking for a Whitlock or an Arroyo or some under the radar guy that can, you can get in a waiver claim or through the Rule 5 draft that can end up helping you. And, um, you know, those guys make champions just as much as the big market, big money guys do. Think about what the Dodgers, you know, a small trade for Chris Taylor, minor league signing for Justin Turner. And those guys have been, you know, hugely important for them for a while. Max Muncy and other guys. So um, those are the kind of guys that really make those teams what they are. Yeah, you don't need to just get like every superstar at every position to win a championship. You know, you don't need that. To me, it's more, you know, who's going to fit in with your system and who's get and, and the chemistry aspect is huge. And I think the signings that he makes are, you know, who's going to work with the Red Sox right now. And when they signed Kike, I mean, nobody really realized how much of a contribution Kike was going to make to the team either. I don't think. And I mean, I liked Kike, you know, like in LA, I thought he was a good player, but I did not think he was going to have as much of an impact on the Red Sox as he actually did and be as important as he was. Yeah, he did. You know, he, he had, uh, for a long stretch there, he's one of the best offensive, you know, lead off men in baseball. And, you know, I think they would have traded, they would have, uh, you know, traded anything for that at that point. You know, I think coming into the year, everybody expected Verdugo to be the leadoff man. They decided to go with Kike. It was kind of a controversial move, and um, it, it really paid off. And obviously, he became you know almost a Gold Glove level center fielder. So, um, you know, that was one that they hit on. Uh, you know, for two years, fourteen million. You, you couldn't have asked for much more there. Yeah, you really couldn't have. I love Kike. I mean, I, he's he's like one of my favorite players on the team now. I just love his attitude, and I just um I just love what he brings to the team. So he's definitely one of my favorites. He's be- he's becoming like one of my top guys on the team now. Yeah, he's you know it seemed like in October he was uh, you know finally becoming a fan favorite. So that was yeah cool to see. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But no, I I def I agree with you. I think they're not done. I think there's more moves that they're going to make after this lockout ends, whenever that may be. It always sounds weird saying when the lockout ends because it's like yeah. well, who knows when that it, it when that's going to end. Um, and like if there even is an ending point. So, but whenever that does happen, I do think that they'll be aggressive and they'll make some more moves. So I don't think this as, as is right now is the roster we're going to see on opening day. And I think, you know, he knows what else he has to do. He even said already, he plans on making more moves after this is over. So it's just going to be interesting to see what those moves are, but it's really hard for me to doubt what he's doing with what the team did last year. So I'm kind of sitting here like, maybe a little unsure sometimes like, Oh, why would they bring back Jackie Bradley for, you know, Hunter Renfro? But then it's like, okay, I have to remind myself, you know, trust the process. Like they went to the ALCS last year. Like he has a plan obviously. And, and like he's getting players he feels like will work here. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about it now is, you know, I have to trust Himes process and trust that he'll do what he feels is necessary for this team. Exactly. You know, and I also think, 
that, you know, there have been, you know, GMs and people in the past with the Red Sox that have made moves based on instinct and all that type of stuff with him. It's very methodical. There's, there's a method to the madness, a very slow, uh, close to the vest method that is not shared with the media, so which is great. Um, but you know, I think that he, it's something that he, you know, every move he, he really considers the pros and cons of and, and doesn't take anything, anything lightly. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's, that's what I, I like about him. And, and a lot of his moves are kind of sneaky and under the radar, but like, it's like, you know, all of a sudden Rich Hill is just here. That was such a, just very like, you know, kind of discreet signing, but he's somebody that's familiar with Boston and he's a veteran. So, you know, as long as he can stay healthy, I think he'd be a solid, like, you know, back end of the rotation type of guy. Um, and that could be a good addition to have. So when you think about these moves initially, sometimes it's like, well, why? But then when you look more into it, it's like, oh, I kind of can understand what his thought process was behind this. Right. Yeah, that's 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 it. You know, he um, he, he really, like I said, doesn't like, you know, over explaining or, or really even after the fact, because he doesn't want to tip his hand on as to what's next. But, um, you know, I think kind of the, the pillars of what he wants to do, you know, depth, versatility, um, that's kind of been what it has been so far. And it wouldn't surprise me to see kind of some of the, the higher end guys coming in here in the next couple you know, years, if not months. Yeah, that's why I'm excited for this lockout to be over, because I just want to know like what's going on and what what they're planning on doing and what the opening day roster ends up looking like if opening day even happens. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that news will be first on MassLive.com. That's the only hope I have. That's what I'm hoping too. I know I I'm like praying for it. I need my baseball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seriously. Um, but no, I really appreciate you joining me on the show. Um, just before we close up, just kind of let everybody know like how they can find you on social media and everything like that. Yeah. It's uh, just very simply at Chris Cotillo on, on Twitter and uh, all of our stuff is on MassLive.com. So um, two pretty easy names to remember. Nice. No, that's, I love, I like simple. Some people have like really complicated Twitter handles with all these like random numbers and stuff. At the yeah. End. Make, it, make it hard to find. Necessary. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I really appreciate you um, joining me, you know, um, go Red Sox. I see you have a Patriot shirt, go Patriots too. That was a great win last night too. I loved that as well. Yeah, Most, uh, most importantly, go Pats. But yeah, exactly. Like right now at this point of the year, go Pats is the most important thing. Um, really appreciate it. Um, hope you, um, you know, have a good rest of the week. Hope everyone else listening has a great rest of the week. Always appreciate you tuning in. Um, we'll see what happens when we do get, you know, baseball news again, uh, where the Red Sox are looking at that point. But thank you again for joining me. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Have a great, have a great rest of your night, everybody.